following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We are going to turn to God's Word now, and you should have a Bible around. Um, Julian is going to come and read uh, tonight's passage for us, and then Ed's going to come after that and preach for us. Um, I'll just pray for us quickly as Julian comes up. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you that you uh, that it is, it is active and living and dynamic and you use it powerfully uh, to speak to us, to change us, to, to work in us, uh, convict us um, and to, to meet with us, to help us to know you. Uh, so we pray you be doing all those things now. Um, give us hearts and minds uh, that are open um, and ready to receive all that you want to say to us. Amen. Acts 21, verse 1 to 16. That's page 1118 of the Church Bibles. On to Jerusalem. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says... In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Umnason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Now, I don't know who you would put as, in your top three historical characters throughout history. I don't know who you would put up there. Uh, I would 
probably put the Apostle Paul as one of them. Uh, He was an absolutely remarkable person. And uh, what he did, what he said, what he wrote, uh, his mind, his character, his energy, his courage, his compassion, and the impact he had on the world is extraordinary. And we've been at St. Michael's for the last a few uh, weeks in the evening service have been looking at his third missionary journey. And you'll see it mapped out there in front of you. And uh, we've been looking at the last few chapters from Acts 19 uh, through here to 21, where this journey comes to an end in Jerusalem. And it's been a remarkable journey, typical of Paul. You can see it in that sort of red squiggly line You can just about work out what he's been up to. Ignore the stuff going to Italy. Uh, That happens a little bit later on. But he's made his way up through uh, what was then Syria into uh, towards Asia um, on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. And then he crossed into Macedonia all the way down to what's today the southern tip of Greece. And then he came all the way back. And we're now picking him up where he is at Miletus, And over the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing a famous speech that he gave in Acts chapter 20 at Miletus. And now, as we've been uh, reading, we're just uh, given what happens next, his sort of travel details. And it can feel a pretty unremarkable passage as we sort of plot his voyage towards Jerusalem But I think there's some really significant things here for us to learn. But first, just pick up the the, the journey that he's on. So we start with him in Miletus, and then he heads off. Uh, Verse 1 tells us he goes, he sails to to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, sort of hugging the coast of um, modern-day Turkey. And from there, he went to this place called Patara, which is this sort of main port city, and he got on a much sturdier vessel to go the 400 miles across to Tyre. And once he got to Tyre, he headed down another drop down to Caesarea, which is kind of the port city of Jerusalem, and from there he walked up to Jerusalem. Now, why was he doing this journey? Actually, it's interesting, it's not mentioned here in the book of Acts. But we know from elsewhere that what Paul was about, he was wanting to get a collection to Jerusalem to support the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And so he was carrying a whole load of money. Exactly how he carried it, we don't know. Um, But he had a team with him, and there he is, uh, heading towards Jerusalem to bring this collection to them. Interestingly, the writer of Acts is with him, hence the phrase we there in verse 1. He talks about we put out to sea. So Luke is writing about this at first hand. Now, what is of interest to this? How, How does this have anything to do with us? I think there are two sort of standout features that we see in this final leg of Paul's journey. And the first is this, Paul's insistence on going to Jerusalem despite repeated warnings. Again and again through this passage, people are saying, don't go to Jerusalem, there is trouble there. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to uh, be uh, arrested. Things are not going to be good there. And Paul stubbornly says, no, I'm going. 
I'm going. Nothing's going to stop me. Here's a question. Is Paul being stubborn? Or is he being courageous? Or maybe both. Uh, Is he being foolish here? And also, another question this passage raises is, is the Holy Spirit saying two separate things? A little bit earlier on, we read about how the Holy Spirit seems to be compelling Paul to go to Jerusalem. So in Acts 19, verse 21, I put it on your handouts, we read this. After all this happened, referring to just some events just before then, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Icaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So he's clearly made the decision, I'm going to Jerusalem. Then in Acts 20, verse 22, we read this, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So it seems that the Spirit is driving Paul to go to Jerusalem. And yet at the same time, we've just read verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. Where they sought out the disciples and stayed with them. Through the Spirit, the disciples urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And then it's even more dramatic a little bit later on uh, where Agabus comes onto the scene. Uh, See verse 10. After we'd been there, uh, this is speaking of Caesarea, after we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over his hand, he took Paul's belt, tied it to his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. called an enacted prophecy. Agabus was a prophet, and uh, pretty dramatically he enacted what was going to happen, saying, look, Paul, you're going to be bound and taken in by the Jewish authorities, and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. That's what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. So what is going on here? Is the Spirit saying two separate things? Is Paul being foolish? Won't surprise you to say, hear me say, no, I don't think he is being foolish here. Yes, the Spirit is saying what's going to happen. He does reveal to the disciples, this is what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And Paul will be taken in by the Jewish authorities and handed over to the Gentiles. That is a a, a prophecy that we can trust. But the disciples who hear this prophecy, make the wrong deduction with it. They assume that it therefore means, Paul, you mustn't go there. Now, it's worth just a slight sidebar. In terms of prophecy, how does the New Testament speak of prophecy? One of the things Paul himself said is that it's really important for prophecies to be weighed against Scripture. I put a couple of references there that uh, are from Paul himself, his own writings, 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, you know, you've got to test prophecies. But what seems to happen here is the disciples who get this prophecy to say that there will be danger for Paul in Jerusalem reach the wrong deduction, saying, therefore, you mustn't go there. Whereas Paul, he's well aware of the danger But for him, there is something more important 
than to avoid pain or difficulty. For Paul, there is something more important than avoiding pain or difficulty. What is that? It's to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and obey him. And we see that shot through all of Paul's writings. He had this connection. He wanted to take them to the Christians in Jerusalem. He wanted, we know, to go on to Rome. He wanted to tell other people about Jesus. He wasn't about simply avoiding danger. And I guess we can, maybe particularly in our current culture, we can easily assume that the safe option, the the sort of, the thing that um, has least danger to it is the wisest option, the prudent option to take. Uh, We might find ourselves, we could easily be saying to Paul, look, I really don't think you should do that. And yet Paul, he understood something about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus said these words, again, they're on your uh, handout. Mark chapter 8, we hear this of Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Paul understood there's something about following Jesus that is about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following him, that there is a cost to following Christ. And that cost is worth paying. Here's a question for us. What cost would you be willing to pay to follow Jesus? What cost would you be willing to pay to follow Jesus? With your time, with your energy, with your money, with your reputation, your ambitions, with your life, Yesterday, I was at a, a conference up at All Souls, uh, Langham Place, and uh, heard from Justin Bardi, who is uh, the Archbishop of South Sudan, and he also is the leader of something called the Global South. Uh, 75% of churches uh, across the Anglican Communion, or 75% of the Anglican Communion, are represented by the Global South that Justin Bardi uh, represents, and many of them are in Africa. And he was very interesting speaking yesterday. He spoke about his gratitude to those missionaries who went out to Africa to bring the gospel there. And he spoke specifically of those missionaries who went uh, not with uh, suitcases full of their stuff, but actually they went with coffins because they knew they were going to go to Africa, and that is where they were expecting to die. A one-way ticket. But they did that because there was something more important, and that was to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was quite a moment to see there Justin Buddy uh, representing 75% of Anglicans across the world, many of whom are in Africa. And that heritage came from missionaries who took the gospel to Africa and took the risk and were willing to die to do that. You might have come across this book by John Piper. It's called Risk is Right and uh, it has a subtitle to it. It's better to lose your life 
than to waste it. Better to lose your life than to waste it. And hear what uh, John Piper says. It's, it's uh, quite provocative. He says this, a choice lies before you, either to waste your life or to live with risk. Either sit on the sidelines or get in the game. After all, life was no cakewalk for Jesus. He didn't promise it would be any easier for his followers. We shouldn't be surprised by resistance and persecution. Yet most of us play it safe. We pursue comfort. We spend ourselves to get more stuff. And we prefer to be entertained. John Piper's wanting us to think about what are we willing to risk for the gospel. Now, it's important to say this is not an excuse to revel in those costs. Sometimes people can revel in uh, the adventure, and uh, that is not necessarily a good thing. It's not an excuse to be reckless. It's not an excuse to fail with our other obligations. Again, one of the striking things about uh, that happened surprisingly frequently with missionaries going overseas doing incredibly bold, courageous things for the Lord, and yet some terrible stories of just neglect, particularly neglect of their families and their children and the costs that came with that. So it's not an excuse to do that. But I think Paul provokes a challenge here for us. What does godly decision-making look like? What is godly risk? And he's suggesting to us that it's not necessarily avoiding difficulty, but rather it is to serve the Lord. And here's the thing, that's actually the safest place to be. Taking the risk, putting our hands in the Lord, our lives in the Lord's hands, is actually the safest place to be. Paul put it like this in Philippians 2, famously he said this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain in his life, just all out for Christ. And if he dies, well, that's no loss, it's gain, actually, because he will be with the Lord Jesus for all eternity. Uh, He put it like this again in Romans chapter 8. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of the Lord Jesus. And it's when we read these writings of Paul that we can begin to understand why he made that decision to go to Jerusalem. That wasn't, he was facing risk all the time. He was facing death all the time. Uh, Those who were trying to persuade him not to just had got the wrong deduction. They'd misunderstood Paul. They'd misunderstood what he was all about. So that is one of the standout features here. Paul's insistence on going to Jerusalem despite repeated warnings. It's a challenge to us. What are we willing to risk? What cost are we willing to risk for the Lord Jesus? Second, and more briefly, uh, the other thing that strikes me reading through this is the encouragement, care, and hospitality of Christians along the way. Uh, This task that Paul had, it was not an easy task, but it was massively helped by people along the way. And there are so many of them, brothers and sisters along the way, at every place he seems to stop, there were Christians there 
who offered hospitality, who looked after him, no doubt gave shelter and food and company and encouragement and prayer. Uh, we see it again and again and again. It starts out in verse 1. Uh, he tore, they tore themselves away from uh, the Ephesian elders that they've been seeing in Miletus, that close relationship there. And then they sailed on. And when they reached uh, Tyre, in verse 4, we see this. Let me read from verse 4. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. And after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and returned home. And they returned home. It's a lovely picture there of, of people just getting involved. The Apostle Paul's arrived, they're getting involved, they're uh, sharing life, uh, looking after. And then again, it happens, uh, verse 7, when they uh, landed at Ptolemy, uh, we see this, they were greeted by the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. And then they go on to Caesarea, verse 8, and where do they go? Well, they go to the house of Philip, the evangelist, and uh, spent some time there. And then they go on to um, Caesarea, oh, sorry, Caesarea was where Philip the evangelist was. And then they go on to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, verse 16, uh, they stay at the, the home of uh, Nason. And you can imagine, in each of these stops, Christian brothers and sisters and sisters providing this food, the shelter, encouragement, are having conversations, warning, discussing, praying, testing, are challenging. There's clear challenges we've just been thinking about. And yet there's also support, isn't there? Uh, verse 14, when Paul said, look, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he said that in verse 13, verse 14, well, they said, okay, um, we can't dissuade you. Uh, we give up. We're going to support you. We're going to trust the Lord for this. The Lord's will be done. Uh, the Lord knows what's right. And we trust you to his hands. And I think there's a wonderful sort of healthy relationships, set of relationships going on here. Uh, there's challenge, there's support, there's encouragement, there's robust conversation, there's prayer. It's a wonderful thing. I don't know if that's something you've experienced as you traveled around, uh, meeting other Christians. Uh, this time last year, I was fortunate enough to have a sabbatical, and we spent a bit of time in America, and it was lovely going from church to church. And it was just a, a wonderful fellowship with people I'd never met before, and yet, straight away, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, one of the welcome team we went to in, in a church in Texas, they took us, took us out for lunch, paid for lunch. Absolutely amazing. And it was just really, uh, that sets the bar a little bit high, doesn't it, if you're on the welcome team. Um, but, it, but it was so precious, and something I'll always remember. Uh, they didn't know us from Adam, but there was just a sense of being Christians together, and they uh, shared their lives and their food uh, with us, which was a great blessing. And it says something, I think, about just the value and the importance of Christian fellowship. And it's something to seek out. Wherever you go, seek it out. Uh, in your workplace, find out where the Christians are. Workplace Christian unions, uh, wonderful things to do. At your university, uh, seek out other Christians and meet with them in your school. If there's a CU or if there's not a CU, gather together a Christian union. 
wherever you might be, seek out other Christians. Uh, we need one another. And it's a tremendous encouragement. And there are Christians everywhere, all over the place. And it also says something about just the value of one another and being part of a church family. And uh, just enjoy teas and coffees and uh, spending time in one another's homes and sharing life with one another. So there we go, two things uh, particularly to draw out from this final stage in Paul's third missionary journey. Uh, The encouragement, care and hospitality of Christians along the way and Paul's insistence on going to Jerusalem despite repeated warnings because there was something more important to him than his own safety. That verse there again, verse 13. I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And of course, thinking about the Apostle Paul heading to Jerusalem, it does make you think about someone else heading to Jerusalem. And in fact, Luke, the writer of Acts, also wrote a gospel about Jesus. And much of his gospel is taken up with the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. And of course, that journey Jesus took to Jerusalem took him into tremendous mortal danger. And he went there knowing full well what was going to happen. And he was taken in by the authorities. And he, of course, died on the cross outside the city. And it's the knowledge of that and knowing that and the significance of that that Paul knew so well that meant Paul was willing to follow in that example. Because he knew that through what Jesus had done for him, that through Jesus' death, dying in his place, taking on the judgment that we deserve, that he's forgiven, that he has a guaranteed relationship with God, that nothing, not even death, can take that away, can separate him from the love of God. And it's that clarity, that clarity of knowing all that he had in the Lord Jesus that enabled Paul to give up so much, to count the cost, to take the risk for the Lord. So we're going to have the last part of our time together this evening. As you see, uh, we've got bread and wine laid out and we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And this is where we need to go with this. We need to end up not saying, look, Paul, you're amazing, although he was a remarkable person, but actually we need to go beyond that and to see Jesus, you're amazing. And more than that, you've done something for us. You have died for us. And you rose again. As we remember and eat bread and wine together, we're reminded that his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And we also look ahead to the new creation, which is described as a feast. Because Jesus rose again. And as we put our trust in him, we too will rise and be with him. Paul knew that. That's why he said to live is Christ, to die is gain, because he'll be with Jesus. And then also in the Lord's Supper, of course, we share communion with one another. It's a a sense of we're together around one table. And so in a few moments, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you're very welcome to come up and to to take bread and to drink wine. Um, You can either... Have it, consume it up here or take it back to your seats if you would prefer, whatever uh, you would like to do. And we'll come up row by row 
but this is a visible word. This is for your encouragement, a reminder of what the Lord Jesus has done for you. Let's just take a, a moment of quiet, uh, just while I get myself uh, set up here, and uh, just spend some time pondering on uh, the courage of Paul, but more than that, on the Lord Jesus and all he has done for us.